morning, friends. How are you all? Welcome back to church after a week at home. If I've met you before, my name is Anthony and I'm a part of the ministry team here at York Street. And it's my pleasure to uh, be bringing the message to you today that we've so creatively called The Message. If you've been journeying with us since the start of the the term, you'll know that we've been unpacking the book of Acts, learning about the accounts of the the early disciples and what it meant to form uh, the early church. We've learned throughout our our journey that Jesus gives a mandate to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. And we we pick that up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. These are Jesus' words. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well done, you've been paying attention the past few weeks. And we see throughout this book that God does, in fact, send his Holy Spirit. And he sends his Holy Spirit, and in partnership with particular individuals and different people groups, the gospel message, that is God's redemptive plan for his people, starts to come together, starts to get some legs. First, it starts in Jerusalem, just like Jesus said it would. We've looked at the work of Peter and the other disciples in preaching the gospel message to the Jewish people in Jerusalem. And we see throughout the early chapters that the gospel message starts to spread and the early church starts to grow. We see in Acts 2, 41, that those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Then a bit further on, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. We skip forward a couple of chapters. The number of men who believed grew to be about 5,000. The next chapter, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. The next chapter, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, and the message goes on. So we see there's this rapid growth of of, uh, God's church coming together, the, the early Christians forming what we now know as the church. And so today, as we continue to work through the book of Acts, and explore what it looks like to to spread the gospel message in the first century, what does it look like for us today in the 21st century? Because we find that God's redemptive plan is still in process, hasn't finished, and we all have a part to play. Let's pray before we get stuck in. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can trust in its promises and the examples of how to be disciples of Jesus. We pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to speak to us today, to reveal to us those things on your heart that you want us to know. We pray that your living word might come alive to us today and that we might be compelled to respond in partnership with you and your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, hear our prayer. Amen. So to add some context as to where we're up to in the sequence of events throughout the book of Acts, Last week, Pastor Tim shared of the message of Stephen, who was out sharing the gospel message and defending the faith, and as a result, was killed. And so we saw that God used the tragic death of Stephen to turn it into something good, to be able to continue the spread of the gospel message. 
And so at that time, it caused some tensions between the two different groups of people. The, the Jewish church that were, were trying to protect the laws, that were trying to protect the faith that they knew. And this new movement of disciples, the followers of Jesus that had seen the signs and wonders that he'd performed and were trying to spread his message further and further. So there's this tension between these two groups and they're, they're forced out of the area that they know in Jerusalem. And where are they forced out to? Judea and Samaria, just as Jesus said. And at the end of last week's message, we were introduced to this guy, Saul, who's one of the religious leaders, a member of the Pharisees, the, the Jewish group of people. And he was actively persecuting the other group, the Christians, or what we now know as Christians. He was given specific, information, uh, specific permission to be able to lock them up, to track them down and try and suppress the message as it was being spread. And so we pick up his story on his way to a city called Damascus. Damascus is in one of those outer-lying areas, and as he's travelling there, because he knows there's Christians there, and he's trying to, to hunt them down to lock them up, he has an encounter. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men travelling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they, they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Meanwhile, in Damascus, there's another follower of Jesus. His name's Ananias. Ananias is just seemingly minding his own business. We're not told too much about who he is or what his story is. In verse 10, it says, In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. It's pretty bendy, I'm told. Um, and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And so, I'm not sure about you, but I don't blame Ananias for being a bit sceptical that that was the message he was meant to do. He, he'd heard of the guy named Saul who was out trying to persecute Christians. And so he's like, are you sure that you want me to do that? And are you sure that it's this guy? And God's like, yeah, mate, off you go. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptised. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. So we see this radical turnaround from this guy called Saul. And so, as, as we mentioned, he's a protector of the Jewish faith. And then, in what appears to be a matter of days, he wants to be preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. So both sides of this fence are a bit confused by what's going on. The Jewish people are like, 
well, we sent him out to capture the Christians and now all of a sudden he's preaching their message. Huh? But the Christians are probably scared in that only a few days ago he was out trying to get them and now all of a sudden he's, he's sharing their message. So, so neither group know whether they can trust him. And so there's a subset of these people who, who plot to kill him, who want to get rid of him because it's a bit too difficult to deal with. But one of the disciples steps up. His name's Barnabas. Barnabas stands up for Saul and defends him to the disciples. This guy's legit. He had an encounter with Jesus. We can trust him. So skipping forward from here, the story of Saul and Barnabas, we we skip forward and we hear that the gospel message continues to spread further and further. And we see the establishment of a new church in a city called Antioch. So the Antioch church is the furthest church from Jerusalem at this point. It's beyond Judea and Samaria. It's essentially the first church established in the ends of the earth, just like Jesus said. And so Antioch is a massive city. It's the third largest city in the Roman Empire at the time. And it has a reasonable colony of of Jewish people, but it's mostly non-Jewish people those people we know as the Gentiles in Scripture. So we we hear from Acts 11. Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed, like we heard about earlier, they travelled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also. And we know that the Greeks are those those Gentile people, the non-Jewish people telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So we see this is the first time the church is extending beyond the Jewish people, the message of Jesus even extending to the non-Jewish people at the time, the Gentiles. And we learn later from the book of Galatians, which was written by Saul, who becomes Paul, that there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So that barrier is broken down. We see that the gospel message is now open to everyone. doesn't matter where you've come from, where you're going, who you are. This message is for you. And so this is where we see the gospel really kick into gear, like it wasn't already. We've seen a move in the geography, and we've seen a move in the culture. We're, we're heading, the, the gospel is heading into different areas and different people groups like it has never done before. And so Saul and Barnabas and the other disciples start to take the message further. And they go on a series of trips out from Jerusalem and Antioch and, and they go further and further afield over a series of, of years and a series of trips. And they see that we, we, we call them the first Christian missionaries. They're the ones that went out and took the message to the people, the unreached people in all of the areas. Planting churches, spreading the messages, the message everywhere they go. And don't forget, we're a product of that, yeah? We're sitting here in the pews today or at home watching online as a result of that spread of the gospel message over 2,000 years ago. Whether we have Jewish heritage or not, whether we're male nor female, Jew or Gentile, like the scripture says, this message is open to every single one of us. 
God's redemptive plan is still in process. And we're invited along on the journey to continue the spread of his message to those around us. So what then, so what was it about the gospel message in the first century that made it spread like wildfire? And how does that apply to us today, more than 2,000 years later? Here's a few thoughts. Number one, the message is truth. The early disciples, particularly the core 12, we know as the apostles and, and the others, had seen Jesus himself. They had seen the signs and wonders he performed. They saw and experienced his ministry. They saw him being tortured and crucified. And they saw and met him again after the resurrection. They witnessed these actual events. How could you not be fired up to tell everyone about it? They were speaking of their own experiences. It was their truth. And in the word of, words of Jesus in John 14, 6, it says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is who he says he is. And he gives the disciples this call to action to continue to perpetuate his church after he ascended to heaven. And that's exactly what they do. If I'd seen that firsthand, I reckon I'd sit up and take notice too, yeah? Even Saul, we know that he was alive at the time of Jesus, but Scripture doesn't tell us that they, they intersected paths, paths during uh, Jesus' ministry. But he certainly had an encounter on the way to Damascus. He had a real, intentional encounter with Jesus. His story was firsthand. It was his experience and his truth that completely changed the direction of his life. Number two, the message is relational. The gospel message was shared from one person to another or one person to groups of people. These guys didn't have the luxury of social media. They didn't have phones or internet to get their message around. They literally went around talking with people, teaching people, showing people the ways of Jesus. And remember that image we're given at the end of Acts chapter 2? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. They sold their property and possessions and they continued to meet together. In fact, it wasn't until the church was established at Antioch that the, the group of disciples were even known as Christians. They were known as the way. They were out living in the ways of Jesus. They were demonstrating to the other followers a way of life. And I think it's, it's kind of easy to discount the multitude of people we're talking about. We, we're hearing of thousands upon thousands of people coming to know Jesus. But it's thousands of souls saved from their sin and brokenness. Each one of them unique, each one of them special, and each one of them created for a purpose in Christ Jesus. Remember Jesus' words from the parable of the lost sheep in Luke 15? I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. 
Imagine the rejoicing in heaven during this time. See, the message is personal. It's intimate and it's relational. Number three, the message is transformational. The account of Saul's story shows the transformational impact an encounter with Jesus can have. We're easily drawn to the massive turnaround in Saul's life. He was a Jewish leader who then became a disciple of Christ in a matter of days, it appears. He preached the message of Jesus and planted many churches. So much so, he he stopped using his Jewish name, Saul, and took up his Gentile or Greek name, Paul. And we know him from here on in as the Apostle Paul, the Saint Paul. He had a radical change of attitude and a radical change of name and a radical change of heart. But more than his personal transformation, imagine the multitudes of people that came to know the message of Jesus as a result of his one decision. Have a think about the people that were reached that may not have been if it wasn't for his transformational experience. Or consider the impact of some of the others we've heard about today. What about Ananias? We don't hear too much about him, but what we do hear is that he was obedient and followed God's instructions. Imagine how his interaction with Jesus and Saul changed his life and changed the life of those around him. What about Barnabas? He simply stood up, simply, he, he stood up for someone whose integrity was being questioned against all the odds and against what everyone else was saying, he was willing to stand up and say, I believe in you. I trust you. And let's go on some adventures together. And look at the things they achieved and the people they reached. So let me ask you this. What's your transformational story? Have a think about it. When were those times throughout your life that you've encountered Jesus? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and it's hard to remember those, those threads throughout your life where you've encountered him. Or maybe you have a radical transformation story just like Saul. But I know that your story is your truth. Regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the situation then or the situation now, it's your story. No one can take that from you. Your encounters with Jesus are yours to own, and yours to share. It's your truth. And your story has the power to be relational and transformational too. When we share our own stories in partnership with the Holy Spirit, we are sharing and spreading the Jesus message to those around us through our interactions, through our love and care for one another. And every day we go about our lives encountering different people, connecting with people, our family, our friends, the person at the petrol station, where we get our morning coffee. Each of these encounters has a potential to have an impact and transform the lives of those we interact with. I want to tell you a quick story. It's a story of a young boy who, at four years of age, came to the kindergarten that's attached to our church here. This boy had a relatively difficult upbringing. 
and wasn't from a Christian home. The teachers at the kindergarten extended love and care and nurtured their students with Bible stories and songs and Christmas nativity plays. It started to plant the seeds of the gospel message in the head and the heart of this young four-year-old child. After kindergarten, this boy went on to the local school where every week diligent, servant-hearted people from this church went into the classrooms at that school and shared in religious education, sharing Bible stories and games and songs, and again, further scattering the seeds of Jesus' message to these students. Fast forward 15 years, that same boy who had grown up and left school by this time, completely oblivious to God and this notion of church, gets invited by some friends along to, you guessed it, this church. After a series of weeks and months, this guy gives his life to Christ. This now young guy goes on to get married and have kids. Fast forward another 15 years. That young boy stands in front of you today. That four-year-old boy was me. This is my story, and this is my truth. See, I didn't have a massive roadside encounter with Jesus like Saul did, but I was so incredibly fortunate to have a series of small, intentional encounters with people within this church, being the hands and feet and voice of Jesus, showing the love and care and compassion of Jesus through their relational and transformational interactions. See, we all have a part to play, some seen and some unseen. That kindergarten wouldn't have been there if it wasn't for a series of people in this church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and continuing to meet together. So today, we know God's redemptive plan is still in process. We all have a part to play to continue to spread the gospel message of Jesus. Some of us have massive transformational encounters. Some of us have intentional, purposeful interactions. Never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit through your interactions with those around you. You might be just planting the seeds, continuing the next chapter of God's redemptive plan for his people, all people. Your story has a part to play in the perpetuation of the message of Jesus. Don't be scared or shy to share it. In partnership with the Holy Spirit, we have all the power to be able to change the lives of those around us. Let's pray today. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for all that you do in our lives. We thank you for the diligent of those disciples who have gone before us to continue your message, to share your message of hope and love to the world. We pray that you would reveal to us through your Holy Spirit those opportunities to share the truths of our lives and the truth of your life, your life, your death, and your resurrection. May we be emboldened to play our part in your redemptive plan. And may we never underestimate the potential of our interactions with others to spread your message through the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.